Well, this morning we begin our study in chapter 4 of Romans, Romans chapter 4. Chapter 4 is really um, an extension, if not uh, an example, of what Paul has been teaching since the middle of chapter 3. So what's going to happen here uh, in chapter 4 is he's going to bring that subject matter, a lot of the things we talked about in chapter 3, he's going to bring that to life here in chapter 4, and he's going to be using Abraham as that model. Okay. In other words, a lot of the doctrine that we saw earlier, he's going to bring that into play and simply apply it to Abraham. Now, the subject that, he, that Paul has been discussing is salvation. Okay? You may just say justification. Is that salvation by faith? Is that salvation by the works of the law? Is that salvation just for the Jews, or, or is it also for the Gentiles? Does circumcision have any part in salvation? Well, a lot and much more has already been discussed, as many of you know, in the previous chapter. But bringing Abraham into the picture, who is the father of the Jewish people, is going to bring up some questions for them to think about. You see, as helpful as doctrine is, and Paul has certainly been teaching a lot of that, for some people, especially the Jews, they need to have uh, an example Okay, they need to have something played out in a scenario just, just to get a better understanding. Well, as far as our text this morning is concerned, it was predominantly the Jews in the church that needed to hear this. You see, the Jews had a history with God where the Gentiles did not. They had 39 books written to them and about them, right? You and I know that as the Old Testament. And they believed that what they were taught about these books was the correct way that God worked. Okay? And they believed that was never going to change. Well, there were many things in those 39 books that were certainly never going to change. But so much of what they were taught, these Jews, was simply wrong. It was incorrect. Okay? This is why, by the way, when you study the Gospels and you see in the life of Christ, you see Jesus spending so much time correcting the spiritual leaders. They just didn't get it, see? Well, those spiritual leaders are the same people who were teaching the others in the synagogue. They were teaching the average Jew who came to worship. And unfortunately, like many Christians today, the Jews on the receiving end didn't spend much time studying the scriptures. They just listened to what they were told, and they believed it, right? The guy up front said, this is the way it is, and so I just believe it. Well, as, unfortunately, as far as the Jews were concerned, what they were taught was a lot of legalism, was certainly a lot of commentary, but a whole lot of tradition, a lot of Jewish tradition, instead of the actual scriptures in context, okay? You didn't see a lot of expositional Bible teachers from these rabbis. They gave a lot of other things. Matter of fact, Paul has already been correcting some of these fallacies right here in Romans in chapters 2 and 3. Now, I know as we talk about things like this, some of you might kind of have 
a question. Why did Paul spend time in the book of Romans correcting the false beliefs of some of these Jews? Uh, since the Jews are, I mean, he's writing to the church at Rome, right? And since these, these Jews were professing Christians, wouldn't they have already known this truth? And of course, as I have said before, you got to remember, folks, when Paul wrote this letter, it was only about 25 years after Christ left this planet, after he ascended into heaven. That's not a very long time, okay? Many of the false teachings that have been around from the Jews have been taught for centuries, centuries, okay? Now, even though many of these false teachings were certainly corrected by Jesus, they were corrected by the apostles, it's difficult to sometimes just let things go, see? A lot of these Jews, you know, for generation after generation after generation has heard what their forefathers said, what their grandparents said, what their parents said. Now they're teaching their own children, right? That's all they've ever known. That's all they've ever taught. And it's just hard to just say, oh, this is it, and throw it aside. It's difficult for them. Well, fortunately, Paul decided to write this letter here explaining that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Matter of fact, this was so important for them to hear and that this is why he spent a little bit of extra time here in the book of Romans to make sure that he answers any questions that they might have. Okay? Therefore, entering chapter 4, what better way for Paul to get this point across than to bring some of those subject matters that we talked about earlier and apply them to Abraham. You see, folks, if they don't get this correct, if they don't get salvation correct, everything else is a moot point, isn't it? I remember, sheesh, 25 years ago, we had a friend of mine who was witnessing to Jehovah's Witnesses. And in case you didn't know this, Jehovah's Witnesses do not believe in hell. It doesn't exist. And so he was, he was gaining ground in his mind. I, think, I said, you know what, that's, that's great, but let's say you win the battle. They still don't know Jesus Christ. And so you've got to look at the key issue, right? And it's the same thing going on here. If, if they don't understand salvation, everything else is irrelevant because Paul's going to teach a lot of doctrine. He's going to teach a lot of theology, right? And that's important, but let's, let's start with understanding of justification, okay? You see, folks, this is why, this is why Satan uh, does so much to affect this specific issue in the world that even we live in today. He's done this for millennia, uh, uh, for that matter, by using every world religion that there is because they're all a system of works. Every world religion, no matter what it is, is a system of works. And if they can convince or he can convince the population that they can somehow gain enough righteousness to get into heaven, right? then they've succeeded. A lot of people believe that. I'm good enough. I do good enough. I'm better than they are. I donate money. I, I work at the soup kitchen, blah, 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 blah. And they just don't understand. And so by using Abraham here, not only is Paul going to go back to the origin of the Jewish people, 
right? But he's also going to be backing up about 2,000 years, 2,000 years from here, about 4,000 years for you and me today. He's going to be backing up about 2,000 years, which is going to help his argument that salvation has always been by faith. Even 2,000 years prior, salvation has always been by faith. You see, folks, in case you didn't know this, most of the Jews in the first century, which is, by the way, when all the New Testament was written, right? Most of these Jews in the first century believed that Abraham had a relationship with God because of his own righteousness. They believed that, okay? Many of the rabbis would actually translate certain sections of Scripture that talked about Abraham's faith, and they would change it to his faithfulness, Okay. Now, sometimes, if the text allows it, that maybe that's what he's talking about, but that's not most of the time when it's talking about Abraham's faith. It's just that, not his faithfulness. Okay. Matter of fact, in Habakkuk, Habakkuk for Dave, chapter 2, verse 4, this was often translated, the just shall live by their own faithfulness. We know that the just will live by what? Faith. The just will live by their faithfulness. See, you also have the apocryphal book. As you know, the apocrypha, it was written also to Jews, right? You have the apocryphal book of Ecclesiasticus, which said that Abraham was right with God because of his obedience. You have the book of Jubilees. The writer says Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. Right? And with that, or I should say, and because of that, they believe that's why God chose Abraham to be the patriarch. He was so obedient. He had such great works. He was, if not perfect, as they would say, God says, you're my man. That's what they believed. But as Paul is going to point out in this chapter, the whole chapter really, that he's actually the biblical model for faith, not works, okay? So let's begin this morning by looking at chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 1 through 5. Paul says, What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, then he had something to boast about but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation. In other words, they're due him. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. So drop back to verse 1. As I mentioned uh, a minute ago, if you're going to be dealing with the Jews, and of course everybody's going to read this, there are Jews and Gentiles in the church at Rome, but if you're going to be dealing with the Jews and discussing the issue of salvation, or if you will, justification, what better person to agree with than Abraham, right? Why use anyone else? Paul knows this. Why use anyone else when it's just going to cause an argument, right? 
Use Abraham and there's not going to be any pushback. People love to talk about Abraham. The Jews would always talk about Abraham. He was the go-to person, right? How many times do you read in the Gospels where the Jewish leaders, they love to bring up Abraham, right? They would love to say, hey, we're descendants of who? Abraham. They keep going back to Abraham. Secondly, Paul knows, Paul's a Jew himself, isn't he? Paul knows as a Jew himself that the rabbis used to teach them that Abraham was someone who was saved by works, okay? And that being said, Paul can now give them the truth because Paul can give them the scriptures. Paul doesn't want to just say, doggone it, listen to what I'm telling you. Don't listen to them, listen to me. No, he doesn't want to do that. He wants to give them the scriptures so they can figure this out for themselves, okay? So once again, as I said earlier, so many Jews would pay attention to what they were taught, okay, instead of what God actually said in the scriptures. Well, this is now Paul's opportunity to kind of re-equip them, reteach them. So look at verse 1 again. What shall we say then that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? Some of your translations uh, probably say our forefather according to the flesh. If you do have that, it's just basically saying that Abraham is our father physically. Okay? He is the one where we attain our lineage. Okay? Every Jew on the planet, dead or alive, came from the seed of Abraham. And saying this, I think, I think Paul's point is, whatever is true about Abraham, okay, as far as his relationship with God, must, we must assume is also true for us. Right? God's people. How, in other words, you might put it this way. However it was that Abraham was saved is going to be the same way we're saved. Okay, that's his point, if you will, of getting this across to them. Therefore, however Abraham was made right with God is the same way that we're all made right with God. Of course, Paul, as you know, kind of has the upper hand here because he actually knows what the Scripture says. Okay? And that's why he's actually doing this. This is the whole point of his passage. Well, Paul ends the verse here. He ends verse 1 by saying... What did Abraham discover in this matter? Or you can also say, what did Abraham find out? Maybe you can phrase it that way. Now, hopefully when you read that, your first question is, in what matter? Find out what? Hopefully that's what you, you first caught, right? Well, because nothing was mentioned here in verse 1 of what Abraham's talking about, he's obviously talking about what he just got through speaking in the previous verses, okay? For the last 11 verses, okay, chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, for the last 11 verses, it was all about having a right or how to have a right relationship with God. That's what that he's talking about. That's the subject matter that, that is coming in from chapter 3 and he's going to begin with the same thing in chapter 4. And in those 11 verses, right, that's chapter 3, verses 21 through 31, Paul mentions the word faith eight times in those amount of verses. And some of those statements that he made were very clear. Let me just read a few for you. Verse 21, Paul said, 
But now a righteousness from God apart from the law has been made known. Well, verse 22 says, this righteousness from God, it comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Verse 24, we are justified. You remember what justified means? It means to be declared righteous. We are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Okay? Verse 25, he says, God presented him, that's Christ, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. One more, verse 28. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. Okay? So, so we know what Paul has declared, right? We know that Paul just did it. But remember, Paul wasn't the issue here, was he? The issue now is Abraham. What about him? That's Paul's question, isn't it? Paul's question is, what did he discover in this matter? What did Abraham discover in that matter, in a matter of a relationship with God? And as you know, Paul asked lots of questions. And so now he'll go forth to answer it. Okay? So going from there, moving now right into verse 2, he begins now by challenging the whole Jewish standard of belief about Abraham. And of course, as you know, that was that Abraham was justified by works. That's what they believe. Abraham will now begin by challenging this here in verse 2. And so setting up his main point, which is going to be mentioned in verse 3, okay, he says here in verse 2, and remember, he's saying this in theory. This is a hypothesis, okay? In theory, he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he says then he would have something to boast about. But, he says, it wouldn't be before God. You see, the Jewish scholars and the rabbis declared that Abraham was so righteous, that God was so pleased with him, that's why he was chosen as the patriarch. Almost as if God rewarded Abraham for his good works. See? Well, if this was true about Abraham and that he was so righteous that that's why God saved him and chose him, Paul is saying if, big if, if that was true, all his boasting is only going to be before man. That's it. In other words, this kind of stuff isn't going to fly with God. It's only going to be able to, to boast in front of your buddies is kind of how we would look at that. Oh, sure, he can probably brag around the water cooler, but God isn't buying it, is what he's saying. See? Back in chapter 3, verse 27, and we looked at this last week, Paul just got, remember, I just got through going through this section, right? Paul just got through talking about faith and faith and faith and so forth, right? He talked about how we received a righteousness, believers, from God, right? He says how we were justified because of his redemption, right? He paid the price for us. It was his atonement. It was his blood. He just, we just went through that whole section. And then he says in verse 
27, he says, where then is boasting? <laughs> In other words, after you look at all those scriptures, it's like he's saying, well, how, do you, how can somebody boast? And of course, his answer is, it's excluded. You can't. There is no boasting because it's all through Christ, his redemption, his atonement, his blood. And so he says here at the end of verse 27, there is no boasting because our salvation is by faith. See? Folks, justification is for the glory of God, not man. Okay? Brag to your friends all you want, but God says the works won't save you, and therefore it ain't going to get you into heaven. You can think in your mind, oh, I'm this good, or I'm that person, and blah, blah. He said, you're only bragging to your buddies. It doesn't work with God, see. And so at this point, Paul's going to go right into verse 3, and he does, pay attention by the way, he does hear what every Christian should be doing. If you're a Christian, you should, your ears should have popped up. Every Christian should do this. Notice how he starts here in verse 3. He says, what does the Scripture say? Shouldn't that be our first question, right, all the time? What does the Bible say? So Paul goes straight to the point, okay? So basically, with that, Paul is saying here, sure, between him and the Jews, sure, we can discuss this all you want, right? We can give hypotheticals, like using the word if. We can talk about Jewish tradition if you want. We can make yourself feel good by saying, well, if Abraham did it, then I can do it. But he's saying here there's only one source of truth. There is only one authority. And he says here it's what does the Bible say? What does Scripture say? And Paul doesn't just ask the question. He also answers it, doesn't he? What does he say in verse 3? He says, well, this is, he's answering himself. What does the Scripture say? He says, Abraham believed God. And it, meaning his belief, was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Paul quoted Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. Okay, and that's important, okay, because he didn't just quote some great Jewish rabbi that everybody knew about, but he went straight to the top, right? He quoted the word of God. But why else? Would that be important? Well, as I said earlier, because faith has always been the standard, how great is it to go all the way back to Genesis, the first book of the Bible, right? You can't go further back than that. So all the way back to Genesis, he can tell these Jews salvation has always been by faith. This isn't something new that I brought up this isn't some cool new covenant. It started at the beginning. See? And folks, this really must have been an important point in the early church because you have, you have it, uh, it's, it's mentioned here in Genesis 15. It's mentioned in our text this morning in Romans 4. It's also mentioned again in Galatians 3.6. It's also mentioned again in James chapter 2, verse 23. That quote goes on. And it must have been important. It must have been something people needed to know that even Abraham, even at the beginning, salvation is by faith. See? Look what he says here, back in verse 3, back in Romans. Because Abraham believed, 
what happened? God imputed righteousness to his account. That's that word credited. We all know what the word credit is, right? That's what, that's what incredited means. God's imputed righteousness into Abraham's account. Now, we discussed that earlier in chapter 3, verse 21. We had a couple weeks ago. I'm not going to go through it again. But that, that, that righteousness was imputed from God to him. And that's important when you look at that as well as back here in chapter 3, verse 21, folks. Whether it was Abraham or whether it is you and me, the reason it is imputed righteousness is because we have nothing of our own to give. We don't have any righteousness that we can stand on before God. That would be laughable. But God already knows that. And that's why he gives us his righteousness, as it says back in chapter 3. As much as the Jews loved Abraham, as much as they looked up to Abraham, they were proud to be his descendants. Abraham had no righteousness in and of himself to offer up to God. None. Okay? It had to be by faith, or as it says here, it had to be by his belief. There was no other way. This is why in Galatians chapter 3, verses 6 and 7, Paul said, consider Abraham. Remember, they dealt with this issue in the book of Galatians, right? The whole book was about one, su one subject, law versus faith or grace mixed together, okay? He says, consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he just quotes that. But then he says, understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. Okay? Those who believe. Uh, remember the Jews would say all the time, oh, what are you talking about? We're, ch we're descendants of Abraham. We're children of Abraham. You are physically, but you're not. Spiritually is what Jesus used to always point out. See, He says those who believe are children of Abraham. You see the same thing here in chapter 4 in Romans, verse 11. Paul says Abraham is the father of those who believe. Not just because, you, you can say all you want that you're related or as we say in the South, you're kin to, right? You're descendants of. Doesn't matter. If you want to be connected to Abraham, it's because of your faith. Not just simply because you're a blood relative. This is so important, folks. Remember what I said earlier. Okay, Paul knew that the Jews here in the church at Rome, they knew that, he would, that they would agree with Paul in however Abraham came, to, came into a right, a right relationship with God. They knew that they were going to agree together, right? They knew that it would be the same for Abraham as it was for them. And this is why it's so important that they read this. Because Paul's thinking, you know, if I can show them that Abraham, his righteousness was through his faith, they'll know it's no different with us. Right? Abraham's way up here. He's the top of the totem pole. Okay? So these people, these Jews, they're going to go have to, they're going to have to go back. And they're going to go have to, to reread the account of Abraham all over again after Paul talks to them. And when they do this time, they need to have open eyes so they can see for themselves that Abraham wasn't perfect like the rabbi said he was. Abraham was a sinner. Abraham made mistakes. He made bad decisions. But because of God's mercy, those were forgivable through 
faith. Through faith. And to add to that, it wasn't, because I know people can think this way, it wasn't the greatness of Abraham's faith either. Well, Abraham, he's the mighty Abraham. His faith wasn't great. It wasn't because Abraham had such great faith. That's not what saved him. It was the greatness of the mercy of God in whom he placed his faith in. It goes back to God's goodness, God's greatness, not not Abraham's faith. Boy, it must have been a powerful faith, a mighty faith, because it was Abraham's. No, it must have been a mighty and a powerful forgiveness and merciful and graceful God. Now, as we move into verses 4 and 5, Paul is going to give an example, okay? He's going to use this whole concept here of works and faith, okay? And he's going to put it into just a simple illustration here for us in these two verses. Look at number 4. Look at verse 4. He says, when a man works, his wages are not credited to him as a gift, but as an obligation, So you guys know this, as a general truth in regard to work, when, let's just say, the employer, when the employer gives a man his paycheck, it's not as a gift. He's not not doing him a favor. The man worked for it, and he is owed his pay. He earned his paycheck, right? He deserves what he gets. If anything, you might think the worker is now kind of in charge. You owe me, right? I did this. You owe me. You can kind of look at it that way. Now, if you, if you turn this around to, if you will, a spiritual realm, if the sinner was able to earn his salvation by works, that means the employer, in this situation it would be God, was bound or required to give it to him. No different than when you go to work, where's my paycheck that's due today? I I want the money that I earned. In a spiritual realm, God would be bound. God would be required to say, okay, here's your salvation. See? It'd be like earning a prize. It'd It'd be like lowering God to nothing more than a carnival worker who hands out rewards when you win. Where would God's involvement be? His grace would be completely unnecessary. And Christ's sacrifice on the cross would be pointless. It would have nothing to do with God's goodness. And then it would be man, not God, who would get the glory. God would simply be bound. Oh, you did enough. Here's your salvation. Come on in. Oh, all right. Here's your salvation. Come on in. That's all it would be. But yet on the flip side, you have verse 5. Verse 5 says, However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteousness. Now this, of course, is the main point that Paul is trying to impress on these people. Right? Okay, and by the way, this is not between... The, the, the worker and the non-worker. This is between the worker and the believer. Okay? The one who works and the one who believes. 
The one who thinks he can earn his way to God and the one who knows he can't. Notice that the one who believes, or you can say the one who trusts, the one who has faith, however you want to phrase that, he is said to be wicked. Do you see that? He is wicked, yet he is justified by faith. He's wicked, and yet he's justified by I think it's interesting because it draws my mind back to the other side. Somebody who's always doing good things. I'm always doing good deeds. I'm going to work my way to heaven, right? I'm a good man. I'm a good neighbor. I'm a good father. I'm a good husband. Good, 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 good things all the way up. He's a great guy, but he's not going to be justified. He won't by his works. But yet here, you have the wicked, and yet they're justified by their faith. Here we understand that man is not simply a worker doing good deeds to somehow gain credit with God, but it is actually, but he is actually wicked and therefore deserves condemnation. That's what he deserves. That's what we all deserve is condemnation. But by God's grace, he is justified. He's declared righteous by faith. He's wicked and yet gets declared righteous. Because of his faith. Those words, justifies the wicked, are intended, folks, to show the vastness of God's grace. The vastness. Like I said, you have the wicked guy who was declared righteous. That's the grace of God. Okay? So on one side, it's all about man, isn't it? God is out of the picture. There's no grace. There's no mercy. There's no forgiveness. And man gets all the glory because he somehow worked his way. He did so many good deeds to try to earn his way to heaven. But on the other side, which is the true side, it's all about God, isn't it? It's all about his mercy. It's all about his grace. He is the one who justifies, and it's his glory that is on display It's not about man. It's not about what we can do. It won't work anyway. Remember all that time Paul spent in the first three chapters, how man is depraved. Man is wicked. Man is evil. He he laid that out about as clear as you can possibly get it. So people would understand that we're all sinful, right? He said in 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. See? See? We're not good enough to somehow earn our way to heaven. Like I said, plus that would demote God to be what? what, Just somebody who passes out door prizes? God should be on a pedestal because it is his grace. It is his mercy. It's he who forgived us. It's he who redeemed us. It's he who paid the price. It's his atonement, right? It's all about God, and he's the one who should receive the glory. It's never, ever, ever about the glory of man. And to Paul's point, Abraham was obviously in the latter group. That's what he's telling these people here in Rome. Abraham was justified not because he worked for it, but because he trusted God. Justification was not a reward. It was a gift of grace. I close this morning. I just want to read a couple verses. Isaiah 53, verses 4 and 5. It says, surely he took up our infirmities and he carried our sorrows. You'll see the emphasis I'm giving here. 
Yet we considered him smitten, stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But look at what he says. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. It's never been about us, ever, never will be. Let's pray. Father, thank you that we can go through this section, really just the beginning, because this whole chapter, it's a short chapter, but the whole chapter is going to be dealing with Abraham. It's going to be dealing where uh, even the, 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 the one who began, if you will, the Hebrew people uh, was himself justified by faith. And so, Lord, I, I, I pray for those in here or maybe those who are listening on the radio or anywhere else, uh, I pray that they would understand that, uh, that we can never do anything good enough to somehow reach the glory of heaven because no matter what we do, it'll never remove our sin. The reason people don't get into heaven is because of sin. And, we don't, and a good deed doesn't somehow erase or a bad deed. It needs to be forgiven, wiped away, cleaned out, and only Christ can do that because he's the one who paid the debt. We owed it, but he paid it. As that scripture says, he was the one who redeemed us. He justified us. It was his blood. And so, Lord, help us to realize that everything is about you. Salvation is of you, and it is through faith and faith alone. Not just faith, but faith alone. If we try to add anything to that, it's really a mockery of the death of Christ, as if to say it wasn't good enough. But Lord, it was good enough. It was great enough. Matter of fact, there's not a single person who could have paid that price outside of Jesus Christ. And so Lord, I, on behalf of everybody in this room, we thank you because we all know that none of us are worthy of salvation. None of us are worthy to be justified. We, we know in our own hearts that we're sinful people. But yet, Lord, you loved us enough anyway to send Christ to die to pay that price. Lord, help us in our lives to know that, to honor you by living for you, as we talked about early, to worship you through our very lives. And we thank you for that opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen.